Hey there, it's Chris Calzo. So we're having technical problems this week. So our episode about what the hell did we even see? Knock at the cabin and sick will be delayed a week. Maybe we'll throw something else in there. Who knows? In the interim, here is Matt's guest appearance on Screen Run, where uh, Ms. Juan and I discuss, I think it's safe to say, John Carpenter's masterpiece, The Thing. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week. I'm going to hide this tape when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. The storm's been hitting us hard now for 48 hours. We still have nothing to go on. One other thing. I think it rips through your clothes when it takes you over. Windows found some shredded long johns, but the name tag was missing. They could be anybody's. Nobody... Nobody trusts anybody now. We're all very tired. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, the Lady One, and I'm here with... With Chris Galza. Well, I'm gonna eat my cookies. This sounded like he, I was taking attendance. Like present. <laughs> Screen Run is the show where Chris and I explore the films of a particular artist or franchise, and in season three, we are talking about the films of John Carpenter. Today, we'll be talking about Carpenter's sixth and maybe greatest film, The Thing. And joining us today to talk about this film is Matt Howell from the first run. Hi, Matt. Are you sick of Chris yet? Yeah, I I like to, (laughs) whenever you refer to me on the show, I want to be called the long-suffering Howell, please. (laughs) This this is our opportunity to gang up against him, though, Matt. That's what we have to do. I mean, you, I think we feel like we have a connection because you know what I go through (laughs) on a regular basis. I do. Mm -hmm, I do. mm -hmm. (laughs) So Matt, when we were <laughs> when we were getting ready and planning season three, we knew that we were going to have you back again after you joined us for Aliens last season, and uh, we gave you you know pretty pretty open pick of what mm-hmm. movies to choose. I knew you were going to choose this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew it. Yeah. But why? Why did you choose this one? Um. Well, much like Aliens. So going forward, if mm-hmm. I ever appear on the show again. Just know that I'm showing up for the best movie that, they, that, the <laughs> yeah. guy, that, they're, that they're reviewing. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. this is, I think, one of maybe my favorite film of all time. It is an absolute classic. And it's I could not wait to talk about the thing with the, th- yeah. with the both of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chris, I can't tell you how many times... I have heard you say that you watch this movie at least once a year. Mm-hmm. So can you tell everybody why you can't stop watching The Thing? It's because just like Matt, it's, it's, I don't think it's my favorite <laughs> film, but it's, it's one of my favorites. I think it's easily Favorite is a tier. Ten. It's okay if you don't have a singular favorite. I consider favorite to be a tier. Okay. That it's works. like best friends. You can have more than one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's a tier. It's not a title. Yeah, okay. we've decided it's a tier. That's the way it's just going. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bible. I w- yeah. No. Yeah. The thing is, <laughs> I, I I vacillate between this and The Shining as being my favorite mm. horror film of all time, uh, and I think I usually land on The Thing 
just because it's such a, it's, it's just an unrelenting experience. Yeah. So, but I will admit, uh, going into this discussion, I was uh, nervous <gasps> because nice. this is a film I was most excited to talk about. But I also know this is going to be the high water mark of our entire run for this. Season. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing he does is better than this. Mm-hmm. Up to this point and after this point. This is, I think, John Carpenter's masterpiece. And mm-hmm. it makes me a little nervous about what's to come. Not that there's not good stuff to come. <laughs> Enjoyable work there is. Mm-hmm. But this is John Carpenter's crowning achievement. I think one of the greatest films ever made. So, yeah. It's, I, I've watched it. This would be my... <laughs> I watched... Here's So we'll talk a little bit about it. I watched the TV version for the first time, I think, since I watched it on TV. Oh, and then I watched the original one from, is it 52 as well? No, 51. And then I also tried to read the novella this was based on, but I just oh. ran out of time. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I'm going to try and get that in at some point. So much homework. But still, yeah, I've already watched it once this year. Earlier this year, I watched it. And I think, like I said, I watched TV version. I've watched it twice <laughs> in anticipation of this as well. But this is a movie I watch probably a minimum of two times a year. Yeah. So yeah. No, what? What has to happen for you to be like, you know what? It's time. Like, is it based on like, is it an anniversary? Is it just like a feeling you get? What what triggers the thing for you? I don't know. It's a it's it's a comfort film for me too. Oh, like if yeah. I'm depressed, I'll watch Superman, like the 1978 Superman movie. Oh. And if I just feel like also just like a, it has a soothing effect on me because I don't know how. I've seen this movie dozens and dozens of times, and it still <laughs> works on me every time I watch it. The trigger—I don't—I don't even know what it is. I just feel like, oh, I want to watch. I, the same thing happens to me with the movie Rope, Hitchcock's Rope. Yeah, I will watch that movie. What's weird about that, which I don't do with the thing, is I'll watch Rope like for four days in a row every day. What? What? Yes. That's unhinged behavior. And That's I'll do that, like. And I do that with, with Brick as well, but only like a couple days, two, three days. I'll watch Brick over and over again. Ryan Johnson's film. Another movie yeah. I love. But uh, it, it just, I don't know what, it, there's no set thing. Maybe I just kind of feel paranoid that my wife's trying to kill me or something. <laughs> but eventually I, it just hits me and then I'll, okay. I will watch it. And then I will have it on in some capacity for like two weeks straight. Oh, like wow. in the house, like if I'm working on something or doing dishes, it'll be on in the background and I'll dive into the score. I'll listen to that for a while as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You just have it on in the background? Yeah. It's, 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 Ugh. and everything works. I mean, pop into it at any point. Well, I left, accidentally left it playing in my bedroom when I was making food earlier today and I got really freaked out because I thought like something strange was happening right outside my house. <laughs> That's it's not like soothing <laughs> background noise. Yeah, it's but, very scary. But this is a man who apparently watches Rope four times, four days in a row, wow. or Brick. That's right. Man, Chris, I, 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 I might. I'm kind of thinking you're a psychopath at this point. <laughs> oh, that's just that's you know. I don't. I don't think I've ever watched a movie repeatedly that many days in a row. No, no. I don't think I've ever done that. I'm sorry, you're not cool. <laughs> like I've seen movies many times, but I've never been like, and tonight again, I will watch it. Like, yeah. Mm, mm. I don't. I think I'm with the podcast mommy on this one. I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, nice. I don't think I've ever done that. 
No, um, you don't get like in a thing where you'll want to watch something a couple times. Uh, I will. What, say, what about like a song? You, you won't listen to like a song. Well, like yeah, but a song is three minutes of my time. I yeah, mean, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. I mean, according to Spotify Wrapped, I listened to Antihero like ninety times, and it had only come out thirty nine days before the calculations were done. Um, and I was like, only ninety? That's mm-hmm. not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that, but that seems easier to me. But a movie has a commitment. It is. Wow. Well, not if it's in the background while I'm doing dishes. But I will. Yeah. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. It's great. I'm in, I'm intrigued by this. So I had only seen this movie once before rolling into this prep, but. It wasn't until I watched it last night that I realized I had seen the defibrillation scene, like, as a child. Nice. (laughs) I saw it at the uh, Universal Studios horror makeup show. It was in, like, a super cut of, like, the greatest horror effects in cinema. And I only really watched that super cut once when I was a kid because I didn't know what it was going to be. So I'm just sitting there at, like... 10 years old just staring watching all of the most horrific things in movie history completely freaked myself out and then every time we would go back to the show because we loved the show as a family uh i would just not look at the supercut mm-hmm. and then watching it last night i'm like oh god that's a repressed memory i forgot i'd seen that happen and had no context for what it was so that was fun that was fun to remember <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy you were able to uh, relive that experience. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, oh, this. I remember now. Um, but before we get into the film itself, let's just chat just a little bit about how the movie came to be. So as you mentioned, Chris, this mm-hmm. is based on both another film, uh, The Thing from Another World, which came out in 51. And uh, it's referenced in Halloween. And John Carpenter saw that when he was a child. Uh, It's a Howard Hawks film, and it made a huge impact on him. He loved it. Absolutely loved it. Was blown away. And then he read, as you said also, uh, the short story that the movie was based on, uh, which is Who Goes There? And he said he read that in high school, and the film from 51 doesn't really have the imitation factor. That's not what the thing does, but the short story does. And uh, that absent from the first film and being really intriguing to him when he read the story was definitely going to be a huge factor in this story and um, his version of it he worked with Bill Lancaster uh, right after Escape from New York and they put together their take on what the story was going to be and the studio was very happy and off they went and they had a year to work on the movie in pre-production which is the longest he's ever had to work on any movie like a luxury of time and I think the most important part of the year of preparation was um, Kurt Russell working on his beard. I think that was the absolute best use of time. Um, he really let that sucker grow. So great prep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think we need to clarify one thing, too, that uh, thing from another world is uh, credited as being a Howard Hawks film. He produced it, but he did not actually direct it. Mm hmm. So uh, there's always, there's that part of it too, but in Matt, so and also too the, the if I remember correctly in that yeah because I just watched it, it, it it's like a plant he's a plant alien monster mm-hmm. right like That's a true. baby Groot I guess so I thought more of like a, <laughs> like a seven foot asparagus or something <laughs> but Matt I, I feel like you've read the original short and I've started to read it and it's very verbose it is Ooh. what are your thoughts on it 
Well, it was so it was written in 1938. It's got a very different way of uh, talking. It seems very old fashioned. Um, and this was written for you know one of the science fiction magazines of the time. So I'm sure this guy was getting paid by the word. John W. Campbell was getting paid by the <laughs> word. Um, it's not incredibly good um, as just like a piece of fiction or a piece of writing, but it has some interesting ideas in it, and it really kind of has a whole kind of paranoia factor. It could be anybody kind of thing. Yeah. That is kind of timeless, but is an actual piece of words on the page. It's not great. Not great. Mm. Oh, great. Now I'm, I'm going to be reading this thing. <laughs> Just fell off the to read list. There you, go. <sighs> you know, if you want to read something a little better, read mm-hmm. The Things by Peter Watts. It's, mm-hmm. it's a story written about John Carpenter's thing written from the perspective of the alien. And it's actually quite good. <gasps> and it's, it's free out there for reading whenever you want to. Wow. That is a very interesting approach. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Is it like a love story? Uh, no. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild. When, when did that come out? Like, was that something that somebody did like right after the film? No, it came out. Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, here. no. Looking at it here, 2010, 2011. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. So when when the uh, do we put air quotes around prequel? Do we say that? Uh, sure, we can say it. we can put air quotes <laughs> around that one. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how um, how you guys feel about that movie that I've never seen, Chris. <laughs> All right, so it's enjoyable <laughs> enough. Mm. Where they go wrong is that I guess they had done a lot of uh, practical effects. Mm-hmm. And the studio said, yeah, that looks great and all, but let's let's do CGI instead. Mm. And it just doesn't really work. The CGI in it is not terribly strong. It looks very fake. And one of the reasons why the original film is so successful is that it's all the practical effects. Mm-hmm. They're so effective. Mm-hmm. They're so unsettling. And the fact that they built all that stuff, Rob Bottin almost killed himself making this film it's 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 incredible i like some of the ideas they introduce in it i think it's fun to kind of see what happened with the uh the crazy swedes <laughs> before it got there but they're norwegian they are norwegians right, right. chris <laughs> so uh yeah i don't know matt what are your what are your opinions on the yeah movie? i remember really hating it when it came out um <laughs> but i did actually watch it before I got from, you know, in the prep for this show and it's, it's actually a lot better than I remember it. Um, I think it really does fall apart with the lack of, uh, you know, the lack of practical effects. And then I think what's also like, what's really jarring is that John Carpenter's a thing is very deliberately paced, I think in a very good way. Whereas this it's like, like it all happens, boom, 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 real fast. And there's all this action. And then they kind of get to the paranoia. It's like almost like a tacked on at the end. So it's a very different vibe through most of the movie. Yeah, mm. and that's why this film is so good because it's not just the horror, it's not just the effects, but it's the interpersonal relationships amongst the uh, people stuck on this and the station in Antarctica. It's the mystery. It's the ten little Indians. Who's who? Who can we mm-hmm. trust? It's the paranoia, is what makes this film, I think, as successful as it is. On you know, on top of those practical effects. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I do have to mention because I am me is. Um, so one another difference between the 51 movie and this one and also the 2011 movie in this one is that there are no women in this movie um, because John Carpenter said, and I quote, 
It's more fun to make this an all-male movie so you don't have to deal with that issue. And then also he said that he hadn't seen a movie with an all-male cast in a long time. So that's wild to me. You know what? Well, Carpenter's just throwing... He's, he's, we're all thinking it. We're all thinking it. He's just talking about there. I mean, yeah. Do we really okay. want to have to deal... First off, you don't know who to trust. This thing is slowly assimilating your crew. And what if one of them is menstruating? You want to deal with that? I don't think I so. That is going to bring... deal with yeah. that issue. Mm-hmm. It's gonna, that is going... It draws bears and, you know... <laughs> Space amoebas. You got to be careful. <laughs> it was just—it was very funny to watch it. Be like, I know that women work in Antarctica, but I didn't want that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, but uh, what's weird about this film is like, what are they even doing there? Like, none of them are scientists. Right. Like, there's you know, no. They don't. Which I actually I found really refreshing watching this that there wasn't like. This guy's the science one, and right. this guy hates science. And it's like we didn't we didn't have to have to bother with that. I have no like silly expository dialogue about what they're there to do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, whatever, I don't care. They're there to like, study cold and ice and <laughs> and scotch and chess. They're an Arctic research <laughs> station where like fully half of them are like Vietnam vets with PTSD. Like it's like crazy. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't really have like a significant science no. setup they have like yeah there's no science equipment at all <laughs> no. there's no we know that mccready is the pilot and we know that <laughs> windows is apparently the radio operator yeah palmer's just insane uh child's <laughs> is like the killer like i don't what are, what are these guys doing there <laughs> i don't know what they're doing there but you know not important mm. because I do appreciate that, like, it's not relevant to what they're what this movie is, so we're just not going to cover it. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> just, you know what? Don't worry about it. He he had his instincts were right about no women, so who am I? To, who, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But no, yeah, that is a good decision. It does work out because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter no. at all. And just by the sheer fact that they're not scientists and they have apparently yeah. no scientific curiosity at all, all they are do is violent and suspicious of each other it really works out well for the film yeah yeah i don't know what they're doing there but i know they have flamethrowers so again why the hell do you have <laughs> flamethrowers flame throwers in it yes because you Fine. gotta melt ice and snow. <laughs> <laughs> so i will i'm gonna spend a couple minutes at some point during this episode of talking about the tv version Ooh. The TV version actually provides narration and background in each Ew. one of the casts okay. of, of the members, and I'm going to play it for you, so you'll actually <gasps> hear the background on each one. Oh. I've done a lot of work. I don't want to talk about, I think I even tweeted this out, how much work I had to do just to pull one Wilford Brimley clip. I saw that. Because <laughs> I loved it so much. It's going to turn into a drop on this and my other show, too, whenever I can use it. So I'm, I look forward to it. There you go. So really quick, I'm just going to go through our returning players, and then let's talk about the uh, the TV version. So I got a real short list here, so please hop in and help me if I'm missing things. Because um, acting-wise, I only have Kurt Russell mm-hmm. uh, back from Escape from New York, and then I have Adrian Barbeau, again, John Carpenter and his uncredited female computer voices. <laughs> I don't have... I- uh, except for Larry Franco's producing again, Dean Cundy is DP again. Who am I missing? Like, what am I missing here? Um, well, I mean, Keith David will appear again. Yeah, he'll come back he'll later. Come but later, this yes. is this is our first. This first, is his first, first film, try. actually, too. It is really. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit! I did not know that. Chris I didn't know knowledge. that either. Damn. You're welcome. 
Okay, Keith David. <laughs> Keith David Superman. Yeah, am I am I missing anybody else who's from uh, the Carpenter verse? I mean, you're more well versed in it than I am at this point, so I can't say. I th- I think I think that's everybody, and this is our first movie of the season that doesn't involve Deborah Hill. Mm. No, you're right. I mean, well, we didn't cover Elvis because it was a TV movie. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. So yeah, but yeah. So so let's talk about uh the TV version of the thing. Okay. Educate us, Chris. Sure. I want to say too that I didn't realize too because I was diving into some of the special features on the Scream Factory Blu-ray that Toby Hooper actually had done a draft screenplay for this at one point too. Yeah, Universal had been circling Carpenter for a while because mm-hmm. they said, "Well, his money's make mo- his money's make movies, <laughs> or his movies make money." Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is Carpenter's first like big budget studio picture. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in the quality of everything, the sets, oh, yeah. the design, everything. So um, I think that's one of the big things for me with this film is how poorly it did. How it mm-hmm. just, because it just came out two weeks after E.T. <laughs> yeah. So I I actually, uh, while we're on it, I have yeah. the box office from that. Sure. Yeah. That, <laughs> that week. So uh, number one was still E.T. Number two was Blade Runner, which came out the same day. Then it was Firefox, Rocky Three, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, Annie, and Poltergeist. And then this movie is number eight in its debut. Wow, that is a murderer's row of films. <laughs> I tell you, 1982 is my favorite year for uh, movies. Really? I had to Google Firefox because I was like, I don't know I don't what know that is. What, I don't know the browser. Yeah, don't it's know that Clint that Eastwood movie where he steals the Russian uh, supersonic jet. No. I've never seen it. I, I didn't even I, know it I saw the poster today, yeah, okay. and I was like, oh, look at him go. Like, there he is. It's like <laughs> coming this summer on it. Yeah. 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 So quite quite a time to be in theaters. Yeah. So I think one of the big things, too, I feel bad, is Carpenter. I think this one, it hurts him because it yeah. didn't do well. Yeah. Because he said, I set out to do something. I think I did it. And nobody showed up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is. It's sad. I, I, I Sometimes I wonder... I feel like this is more of a closing comment for the show, but sometimes <laughs> I wonder what would have happened to his career if this was the success then as it's considered now. Mm. I mean, it's considered one of the greatest horror films ever made. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I almost feel like his entire reputation as a horror director is based off of this. As good as Halloween is and as influential as Halloween is, this, in my not so humble opinion is, is just better in like every way. Um, and when you hear about people like Jordan Peele talking about, you know, you want to talk about the greatest horror director, go talk to John Carpenter. I think they're talking about this as opposed to Halloween. Yeah. All right. Stop being sad, everybody. Let's spend a few few minutes here and, uh, let's talk about the TV thing, the TV version. So obviously the big thing with the TV version, right? It's going to be heavily edited. So a lot of the special effects, Mm -hmm. a lot of the gore stuff, the chest ripping, the uh, head coming off the body, all that stuff gone. All right. And one of the most interesting things is that they, in the beginning of the film, they have narration about each character. Windows. Hates being a radio operator. Hates being here. Can't wait to get back to the States. McCready, a top helicopter pilot, worked for Hughes Aircraft as a test pilot until he got into a confrontation with top management and resigned to take this assignment. Child, a mechanic who went from trade school to the airlines. None better. 
Gary, a 30-year army man who worked up through the ranks to become an officer, likes the job of station manager. in charge of the dogs, doing a study on the effects of extreme cold on animal behavior. These men were commissioned by the United States National Science Institute to gather data concerning the physical and natural sciences on the continent of Antarctica. First girl darn week of winter. Four stitches, barely grazed. Dr. Kappa, graduate of Harvard Medical School, received his training at Massachusetts General Hospital. A personal tragedy in his life sent him on this adventure. Bennings, meteorologist, an old pro. Many papers published in his field. Blair, a pioneering microbiologist whose research on DNA helped lay the foundation for genetic engineering. Many discoveries in the field of cellular growth. Second string chopper pilot, crack mechanic, who hopes to start up his own business as a mechanic upon completion of this assignment. Norris, geophysicist, was a professor at Caltech, has an incipient heart condition. Knowles, inventive cook, a product of Watts, interested in the Antarctic. Fuchs, assistant biologist, who worked with Blair at the Rockefeller Foundation. See, don't you feel like an idiot? Now you know. <laughs> yeah. The narration told me they were there to do science. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> like it just says science. It's, it's just more look, science. It's very important now. It all makes sense because yeah. now that I know that Norris had an incipient heart condition, it all makes crazy. sense now. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, inventive cook. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. This is really helpful. He mm-hmm. likes to take chances. Yeah. I like skills. that. I like that description. He likes to microwave metal pans. <laughs> So there's different audio cues in the TV version, which stood out to me. Like they do this, the music is moved around a little bit in the TV version. And the first really disturbing set piece when they go to um, go see the the, the Swedes, uh, <laughs> the guy who who kills himself, yeah. like where he slits his his arms and then his own throat, yeah. and everything, all the blood's frozen. Yeah. You don't you don't really see anything. At all, it, it kind of the camera kind of cuts in, and then you just see like a little bit of the frozen blood, and then we cut to something else entirely. And then you know that big scene, which I think is maybe my favorite line delivery in the entire film. What is that? Is that a man in there or something? I like I say that out loud all the time. What is that? <laughs> is that a man in there? Something? Well, when they look at that. Nothing. You don't see it. When they bring it back mm. to the uh, to the uh, research center, nothing. You don't see it. Um, oh. It's really weird. What else here? They use a camp shot to begin Blair's kind of speech about how you know, this, is, this isn't dog. This is imitation. They actually start from the uh, outside the camp for that as well because they, don't, they can't show right. the uh, monster mm-hmm. on yeah. TV. Uh, there's some ADR work in there. There's different like line, pieces of line dialogue here and mm-hmm. there as well. It jumps around a lot too to cut certain scenes that are uh, just disturbing, you know. So yeah. let me see what else we have here. The scene of Benning seeing someone in the hall cellar. It follows actually around the corner, and he's it, it, so the scene in Benning's where he's walking into 
I think it's the dog part, and he sees somebody, and he thinks it's um, uh, who's the dog guy? Why am I blanking on Richard Malik? Uh, Clark? Clark. Clark. He thinks no. it's Clark. Yeah. Um, and then he, he he follows it, and then he looks into I think what is the dog kennel, and he does one of these, and then that's it, and they never go back to it. So it's it's just like a cut scene. I'm not quite Ooh. sure where that goes, as well. And there's a lot of stuff like that, that where it's just different alternative takes, and um, I like some when they remove the profanity, like it's just <laughs> when he Palmer goes, I'm I'm not going Windows, I'm not going, and uh, Windows says, Hey, fry you, Palmer. You know, and, <laughs> It's the gold the end, first week of winter. That's right. <laughs> and at the end, too, when he throws the dynamite McCready, and he's like, well, blast you, too. <laughs> and all the, the chest spewing all stuff out, the head, all of that stuff's completely cut. Oh. The uh, blood test when Child says, oh, that's a crock of stuff, which is always fun. <laughs> when Windows gets kind of eaten cons- by the monster, they, mm-hmm. they zoom in really close to him. So it's really dark and fuzzy. You can't really see anything oh, that's happening. Bizarre. And uh, Palmer, when he explodes, he, you know, they just basically don't show anything. Basically, he breaks out, and then like a second later, he explodes outside. You don't really see anything that happens up to that. We never see McCready throw the dynamite or anything. He just runs out of the building and then explodes. Which oh, is weird. So. This this sounds very jarring as a viewing experience it is especially when you know the film as well as i do the way it jumps around a lot gary is very upset that he's tied to this pinking couch (laughs) (laughs) that's fair so uh yeah a lot of it's a lot of weird stuff like that and uh, supposedly though in the original script in the end when Nalls goes to investigate what's happening to gary that gary's disappeared that um Nalls is attacked but he kills himself to avoid uh, assimilation in the original script, that actually okay. it's in the novelization. Mm. I wanna, I'm telling you, I've been looking to buy the novelization, but it's gonna run me that the cheapest like seventy dollars. Jeez! But I found a PDF of it on the Internet Archive, nice. so I may try and watch it on my iPad or something, and watch mm-hmm. it, read it on my iPad instead. So, but there's a weird thing about the TV version too, because it's just so much more sanitized. It yeah. Almost, you know, with all the additional dialogue, I feel like at the end. The part where Childs and McCready look at each other. So, and one of them would say, like, so, I'm the thing. And then they just add some music again or something, and that's how it would Like, it's, it's that basic. And at the big climactic thing, when he comes out of the floor, you'd yeah. see it mm-hmm. for, like, a brief second. Yeah. But they don't zoom in. You don't see the, the blare and then the half face open. You don't see any of that stuff. It's much more brief. It's a little frustrating watching the TV version, especially when you know the uh, OG so well. Yeah. But it's an interesting experience. It's available on the Scream Factory Blu-ray, so you can watch it there. Also, mm. I feel like it's a uh, like a VHS copy. It's like somebody got oh. a hold of a VHS and then, or they just record it straight off the TV, like in 1985. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, It'd be nice really if it weird. had commercials. Like that would be fun with the like era accurate commercials. Like mm. just get the whole thing. You can get local weather. So, and I'll just play you one more thing, which is the how the film in the TV version ends. All right? A little more narration to tie things up. Oh, boy. Who knows what has come from the galaxy? Who knows what evil lurks in the skies? Beyond God, watch those around you. For who knows what today, tonight, or tomorrow will bring? It's true, man. It's deep. 
you know, I can't tell you how much I hate uh, that. That's almost as bad as the Blade Runner narration. And the ending of the film where uh, there's a shot that you can see the camps burning in the background and there's a dog running away from the camp. Oh, is there? Yep. Nice. Aww. That's how it ends. So now you don't have to watch TV version, I guess. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> how do they just... Does everything have to have a TV version? Is there ever like a movie where they just go, there's no point? Because for this, there is no point. <laughs> I think nowadays it's a little more... Yeah. I don't know. No, I mean, and... Yeah, like, do they have the... Yeah, you know how they have, like, airplane versions of some things? Right. They still do it? Like, what's the airplane version of this movie? Is it is it the TV version? Is it, like, just jarring and confusing and you have no, like, sense of the actual events? About 45 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so strange. That's so strange. Ugh. Well, thank you for saving us all the time, because I will absolutely... Never watch the TV version of this movie. <laughs> I ha- I have been enjoying it. I feel like at this point we keep talking about when we're recording, even mm-hmm. though we put them out later. Um, we are recording this during what is technically the first goddamn week of winter. So right. mm-hmm. I'm happy for us. Mm-hmm. I watching it, even though I'm in Florida and it's not cold. I mean, it's. I had to wear a sweater today, but it's not actually cold. I was freezing cold watching this movie because of all the snow and the ice and everybody's facial hair is frozen. And I was just like sitting there like, oh, oh it's so cold. And it's like, no, that is not real. But it's an immersive experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt the cold. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. guess they said they kept the, the uh, set at 40 degrees. So that way it wasn't too cold. Yeah. And they yeah. would have them like drink coffee or something. And that way it would look yeah. like. But then they it's would go out humidity. into the. But then they would go out into the streets of L.A. or whatever, Hollywood, where they were shooting, and they'd be like <laughs> yeah. 90. Yeah. yeah. People kept getting sick. Oh, gosh. Sorry, Matt. You're yeah. going to say something? I cut you yeah, off they're my just, meaningless trivia. They're just, uh, <laughs> I can tell you, uh, for Arctic Explorer, Antarctic Explorers, it's like 40 below out there. Like, you know, your eyeballs would freeze yeah. in your in your head, like, you know, within like <laughs> 10 minutes. And they're just like out there with like parkas like open. They just don't care. Yeah. I don't get yeah. it. You're taking me out of John Carpenter. <laughs> See, adrenaline, like, adds, like, an extra 100 degrees right. to your body, I think. <laughs> the paranoia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it's, it's a good winter watch. Mm. I'll say that mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to talk about the physical media that, you, that you're enjoying with this one now, Chris? Because we've been talking about it in our earlier episodes of, like, the different DVDs that you've gotten, the Blu-rays, the this, the that, the... What's the word for the, the books? What are those called? The Digibooks? Steelbooks? No. Yeah, Steelbooks? that's oh. it. That's it. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you got for this one? What's your well, collection like for this? I would say, I can, I can mention that, but I've talked a lot. I know, Matt, I know you have the 4K on this one as well. I do, yes. I so do. what was your experience Tell watching us. this in 4K? Yeah, I mean, it looks absolutely great. I mean, we went and saw mm. the, um, what was the company that did it? Uh, the, the, oh, the Fathom Events, yeah, 40th anniversary? Yeah, so my oh. wife and I went to the Fathom Event, wow. and the presentation was terrible it looks so much better at my house than it did on there yeah it was not good but yeah it's the the 4k version of it is is fantastic i you know if you have a player i would totally recommend getting it and for me i'm not like chris i was living off the dvd for a long (laughs) long long time and i finally upgraded whereas chris has probably bought like seven different versions of this yeah i had it on vhs dvd blu-ray twice mm-hmm. and now i have the 4k let's see that fits 
fits. So yeah, it's it looks you're right. It looks phenomenal. It's the best it's ever looked. It's I saw detail and things that I'd never seen before. Like the helicopter has a little blue light like on its tail. I never noticed that before. Um, like lots of little details like that just really jumped out at me. The uh, creature effects. So I will say it didn't. The creature stuff didn't suffer much at all from the 4K either. I was really impressed with that. I think that's more. Not just Botine's work, but Dean mm. Cundy knowing how to shoot this stuff and the amount of light, well, how to use the light in those scenes so it doesn't yeah. look like a big rubber monster, mm. which is basically what that stuff is. <laughs> so just, you know, a metric ton of Vaseline, right? And then uh, <laughs> yeah. just lots of goopy stuff. And then you just shoot so it right goop. with the right lighting and mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're going to have the success. So, yeah, no, it looks fantastic. Sounds great, too. It looks so good. I was... I mean, we talked about before the budget, like this is like the big budget for him. And like, it really, it shows like it looks just, it's, it's a step beyond everything he's done so far, as far as like what he's able to work with, what he's able to accomplish. And then even still, he's very, like he uses everything as economically as possible. It wasn't until I was watching the documentary on the making of that I like realized just how many miniatures are in this. Because yeah. I was just like, nah, that's all real. <laughs> like, <laughs> no idea just how many rooms and the cave and just how many things were made of miniatures. It was just really, really, really good work. Like, ridiculously impressive on every front. Yeah, that too. Uh, special praise for the mat work. The map paintings in this are just incredible. Lots of great stuff. That scene when they're walking up to the um, dugout hole square mm. in the ice, you know, where the uh, Norwegians had taken the alien back to their camp. Yeah. None of that's there. That's on a, that's on a back lot. Yeah, the only thing cool. is they're walking on like a white carpet, basically. And then it's all matte around them, oh. matte painting. And it's yeah. incredible. It's fantastic. Just like that. So, yeah. It's all of that stuff is done exceptionally well. It, you're right. It's all the money is there on the screen. He doesn't waste a thing and it looks fantastic. Yeah, it's unreal. And I know that you mentioned before um, Rob Oteen, like almost killing himself yeah. working on this. Good thing he was only 22 years old when he was working <laughs> on this. Or <laughs> if he was any sort of uh, 30s or 40s, he would have been dead because that is that is not a sp- an amount you can push yourself to when you're not 22 good thing but that's absolutely unreal work for someone at that age yeah he like, said like what he was living at the studio and just mm-hmm. working on this thing non-stop he had to they had to bring in um the guy from what the hell is his name now matt you know Juan. what is his stan name? winston yeah to do that they did the dog effect yeah mm. Ugh. And um, what I love, too, about that is that that effect, all that stuff was done later. So initially, they wanted to shoot the effects with the actors all at the same time because they're using practical effects. So Botine got so behind, they couldn't do it. So that scene with the dog in the kennel, there's nothing there. They're all just reacting to black, to like it's an empty room. <laughs> and they're just doing their thing. <laughs> but one of the things I didn't realize until watching this um, with all with the uh, as an interview with, with Botine is that the flower that comes out of the dog that child's lights? That's not a flower. It's dog tongues and teeth that have kind of a, as a mass that's like turns into another Ew. mouth. So it's all the tongues and yeah, it's Ooh. it's funny because listening to the commentary, that's what Russell refers to. He goes, "Oh, this flower effect, that thing is so cool." <laughs> but no, yeah. it, it, Botine's like, "No, that's yeah, that's all the dogs, dog tongues, the teeth." 
And a couple interesting things too, if you ever watch with the commentary with Carpenter, it's very much like a jovial kind of two friends hanging out watching a movie together type of thing. Right. And they talk about how one of the big interesting things about this film, and sometimes I wonder about the success is like the AIDS pandemic had just started. Nobody knew what it was, where it was coming from. So that kind of added some more depth to the film. Mm. Uh, Kurt Russell constantly refers to the movie as the show the whole time, which I found to be pretty amusing. (laughs) And um, Keith David had broken his hand in a car accident right before. So if you look at him, you never see his left hand. It's always being hidden in some capacity for like a bunch of the scenes. And one other thing, too, that I think is interesting, because one thing that's always bothered me about this, I'm curious what you both think. When you get assimilated, do you know it? Okay. I, I've been wondering this, and I, I, I can't. Because I, I feel like I can't Norris. Tell. Does, I, th- I, I think no, because Norris, because you think you, he still has the heart condition. So you think that the monster would know not to maybe assimilate a weaker. Maybe, but yeah, Russell says during the commentary that they talked about it all the time. Him and the other crew members would, yeah. would say, what do you think? Would you know? Like, like how would, would you, you know? know? Yeah. Cause, I mean, well, I guess, I guess the thing is that becomes a question, right? Is when the assimilation is complete, mentally, whose brain is it? Is it the thing's brain or is it the victim's brain? Or is it the thing controlling the victim's brain? What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I'm I'm under the impression that uh, one it takes a while for you to be taken over. Once you are taken over completely, it's it's the thing completely. Okay. And it seems more uh, granted. Maybe not. Do we use the word canon? But in the the 2011 <laughs> prequel, it seems more mm-hmm. that seems more definitive than it does in this film. Mm, yeah, you're yeah. Right. So I think you're it. Right. Um, I feel so. What makes me think that the thing, like, is in charge, but what makes me think that you would be aware of it is the way the dog is behaving at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like, that dog is not acting like a dog. Like, that dog has other stuff in mind. Like, even just the way the dog walks down the hallway, I was like, what? Like, that felt so unnatural. Like, it felt like how a person would be behaving. And... I think I think you must know, but I think maybe the idea of you don't know was something to throw around in in their conversation because obviously you don't know the answer to that question if you're them in this experience. And so saying that adds an extra layer of I can't even know that I'm not one of them. Mm. So then you can't even trust yourself. But I I do think you would know, but I like the idea that they don't know that definitively. They're not watching this movie. They're living it. And they don't know if you'd be aware if you were one of them. Mm-hmm. But I think that you would be. See, I don't know. It feels like you get replaced one cell at a time. And like it's such a good liar. It knows everything that you know that it will say anything. And it's completely convincing. Like, you know, it is Palmer. And then mm-hmm. as soon as he gets found out, then suddenly he just becomes a creature yeah. kind of thing. You know, it's like, okay, well, yeah. the camouflage is off. Let me. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Self-preservation. Yeah. yeah. But did did he know that it had happened? I have to assume yes. I I think I don't think you know while it's happening and then I think maybe once you do know it's too late. You're more thing than person. Maybe it also depends on how it happens to you mm-hmm. versus like the physical attack mm-hmm. or if you're just passing it like through germs. Mm-hmm. Cuz then I don't know. Well, you know, all I can say is read the things. It kind of clarifies a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So who's the first to go? It's Norris, right? 
he's the first taken over? Because I don't. What we don't know is when um, Palmer's taken over. No, mm-hmm. it's not Norris. I believe it's the bald the guy, guy with the heart condition. No, the guy with the bald bald guy with the red hair. Um, he's the first one to go because it's in. They put the they put the burned body that they got from the crazy Swedes, and it, it melts and it comes back to life and it attacks him in the storeroom and Windows sees him getting attacked. I think where why I disagree with that is because in the earlier in the film before that the dog Jed that's the dog's real name uh, oh yeah walks into a room mm-hmm. and then there's a shadow a silhouette of a guy turning and looking mm-hmm. that's Norris okay. I can tell because the silhouette the curly hair as well I'm like ninety nine percent sure that's Norris so that's why I think Norris is taken first okay we never so, see his assimilation mm-hmm. yeah I think. I think you're right. I think you're right that it technically happens to Norris first there. And I think that's probably another difference because we don't know how the dog did it. Right. Like we like maybe the dog just like climbed up and licked his face, gave him some dog kisses and like he absorbed the germs and it happened Mm -hmm. versus I don't think the dog went in there and like ate his face off (laughs) and then he became like people probably would have heard that happening. So I think that does happen first. But then. Yeah, the more violent transformation. I think it goes faster and Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I guess at that point there are two separate entities. There's the dog thing yeah. and there's the corpse thing and Yeah. You know, I guess um yeah, I guess corpse thing wasn't worried about being camouflaged, like let's just get this done kind of stuff. Realistically, the the multiple things can have different personalities mm-hmm. because they're separate entities. So it feels like the dog thing is very sneaky. And then for Norris to have been infected by the dog thing, he's staying sneaky. So that's the stealth thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's the just like, fuck it, I'm going to shred this place thing. So <laughs> I think there's uh, two distinct thing personalities going on. So where do you guys land on the internet theory that at the end between Childs and McCready <laughs> is who is the, is, is Childs the thing? Is that where you land on this? <sighs> I... I I don't think so, but I wouldn't be sold. Like, if I'm McCready, mm -hmm. I think he might be. But I'm, as the viewer, I'm like, I don't think that he is. But I'm still not positive either way. So the the argument on the internet is when they're (laughs) sitting there talking, McCready is billowing out, you know, breath, whereas Childs is talking and there's nothing coming out. And yeah. they were using Molotov cocktails to burn the the place. So McCready hands Childs a JB bottle and he takes a drink and then, then McCready laughs. The idea being that it's gasoline, but the thing doesn't know the difference. So that's mm. why he's, that's the theory. I don't, I mean, it all kind of falls apart because literally 30 seconds before that scene, they show Keith David standing there in the snow and he's got breath coming out of his, out of his mouth. Like crazy, <laughs> right. But, um, but that yeah. is the theory is that that's I've- I've also heard that because McCready gives Childs the bottle mm-hmm. and he takes a sip out of it, he's not afraid of catching anything from him. Mm-hmm. So he must already be a thing right. because he's not worried about getting it. But that could also be like, we're clearly out here about to die. <laughs> I'm just going to have a sip. I don't really care. True. True. I mean, so. you know, they're boys. They're, you know, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it feels like McCready thinks he is. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? I 
thought the whole breath thing was was true for a long time. Then I actually watched the scene, and like you say, no, you see his breath, so that's not it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I go back and forth on the Molotov cocktail part. I'm not sure. I don't know, and part of me doesn't want to know. I right. think that's yeah, part of the I fun of it. Yeah. Carpenter during the commentary says he knows. He says he'll never tell, but he knows if either one, both are the thing, but he'll never tell. Mm. But still, yeah, I don't know. I. For a long time, I thought Childs was, but... The way he enters the scene feels like he is. Yeah. The way he shows up there, you're like, oh, no. Like, it feels, I don't know, something about him, like, walking over there. The way, just the way it's shot feels, like, ominous. Mm. But maybe that's just supposed to be, like, playing on our, you know, heightened sense of everything yeah. to this point. But yeah, I feel like whether or not Childs has been assimilated mccready thinks he's been assimilated mm -hmm. yeah and at that point that's kind of all that matters because if he thinks you're one of them he's gonna kill you <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah I, I don't think i don't think either one of them are getting out of there classic ending though very yeah. good Ugh. until you see the tv version with the dog running away and it's yeah. all thrown uh... to hell you know what's too one of my favorite little things in the film that i didn't notice until about two years ago when I was watching it, is when McCready goes to talk to Fuchs uh, and he's working on, you know, calculations or whatever. Mm -hmm. As soon as McCready walks in and says something to him, Fuchs grabs like a bottle of acid. Yeah. He puts his hand on it yeah. and talk, starts talking to him and realizes he thinks it's actually his McCready, so he lets go. I ne <gasps> never noticed that oh. for like years. Yeah. But it's such a Damn. great little touch. That's really good. They, uh, Carpenter says they shot a scene of Fuchs getting attacked. Oh, okay. Ooh. But it was, it just, it came out too dark. He says you couldn't see, it didn't work. Okay. Oh, damn. Uh, in the editing like, process. literally so too dark. It. Yeah. Whoa. Which is too bad. I'd like to have seen what happened to Fuchs, but uh, oh well. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I knew what it looked like because the idea that it just came out like literally too dark to see properly so it couldn't be used when like, you know, it must have looked so cool. Yeah. Given everything else we saw. And then that also makes me think about the people in the... 2011 one that i didn't see that did practical and then all for nothing mm -hmm. what a waste of their work even if it wasn't as good you know like this is this is a pretty high bar yeah. so you know if you can't quite make it to this level like that doesn't mean you're automatically terrible i don't know the, you could go out on youtube and see the the practical effects oh. it looks pretty good um you know I'd like, like behind the scenes yeah. those guys seem pretty bummed that they had their they didn't yeah. i don't think they found out until they were at the premiere that it had been <gasps> that it had been yeah been taken away Oh, that's brutal. Damn. Yeah, no, that stinks. It is so strange to me to read, like, the reviews from when it first came out that everybody was just like, this is just gross for the sake of gross. When it's like, it's so... I just, I don't know how you could say that when there's such pacing going on. Mm. Such perfect pacing that it, it doesn't feel like it's just jump to jump. Look, look, let's just show you the craziest shit you can imagine. It's, it's so deliberate with it. It's, um, yeah. Those those reviews from eighty two were that's some harsh harsh stuff. I can't believe it. So let me ask you: Carpenter feels like the whole key to the film for him was the blood test scene. He says the film would be would make or break with that one scene, and I think he pulled it off. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that whole scene is like a master class in paranoia. Who do you trust? What do we do? And the way that whole thing plays out, it's so brilliant. And what do you guys thoughts on the blood test scene? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. 
it's an awesome jump scare. Like you were just not expecting that, <laughs> and like it just happens, and then everything goes yeah. to hell. And then, and then after all that, it just picks up again. They just start up again, you know. <laughs> For a horror science fiction, not not your everyday realistic scenarios we're watching here. It felt like very grounded. Felt like okay, well, this is how we're gonna figure. Like we've got a plan. And also the whole idea of like when I'm watching it, I'm like, you know that you need to keep an eye on each other, but you can't because like they keep having to go do different things. And every time they're like, well, you go over here. I'm like, no, now you're going to lose <laughs> yeah. track. It's like they're like playing a shell game and it's like, I'm I'm not going to see where the thing landed. Like, I don't know what's going on. So, yeah, I that scene is just it's bonkers. Can I ask you both a question, too? I wonder about this. So it's 1982. Is part of the film's failure the fact that, financially at the time, that we don't have a resolution as to who the thing is? Because Carpenter thinks so. He says part of the problem was is that people wanted to know who the thing was, and he didn't tell you at the end. Mm-hmm. Do you think that could have played into it at all? I don't know. Maybe? Like, you think people like, came up, like, bad-mouthed it when they came out? They are like, oh, man, don't go see that movie. They don't even tell you who the, the monster is. It has yeah, a bad ending I, kind of thing? Possibly, yeah. Outside of the effects, I guess. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to think of another instance where you had maybe an unsatisfying ending, or what would be an ambiguous ending yeah. from another film around the time, and I can't think of one. I mean, what do people think about the replicant question in Blade Runner? Then were they talking about that then? Because <laughs> it literally came out well, the same day. But that didn't do super great. <laughs> no, either. no, it didn't. no it that didn't. did. Yeah. Really, did not perform well. So yeah, I think it's pretty likely that word of mouth of just like not enough people satisfied walking out of there because they were looking for something clear Mm. so i i think that probably probably hurt it quite a bit and then it's also up against you know some pretty definite endings (laughs) with the other films that were in the top 10 at the time and um i think if all you've heard from it is like, I mean, the reviews back then make or break movie far more than they do now, because if all the reviews are like something's terrible, but everybody on, you know, hopefully it still exists tomorrow. Twitter mm-hmm. says, nah, it's great. Critics are just mad. People are going to go see it. Yeah. People are willing to hear it, out, hear it from their friends and their, you know, fake social media friends, too, versus, you know, the guy in your newspaper, what he said was what decided if you were going to see it Friday night. Yeah. And, just and there the were so they, many other choices. They just the way they released films back then were so different. I mean, mm. like they didn't put it out in hundreds of theaters at once. I mean, they would put out like a dozen, like some New York, L.A., and then if it did well, they'd expand it and expand it. They just didn't really, you know, it just was a completely different way of putting it out there. And then probably if they're like nobody was coming to see it, it's like all right, well we're not going to put it any more theaters because we've only got, you know, two screens in our in our local, you know, Cineplex or whatever. Yeah, and that there's a great group of movies out right then, and movies stay in the theaters for a lot longer. Nobody was going to kick E.T. out of there. Yeah, E.T. and <laughs> Poltergeist and whatever else, yeah. So it made just under $20 million, but it had a $15 million budget. It's not really technically enough. Yeah. So. Uh, Sad. <laughs> <laughs> Poor John. Well, it can only go up, right, guys? <laughs> You've got some real winners out of you. Yeah, yeah, that has to be how this goes, well, that's right? right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the first movie that we've talked about in this season that John Carpenter has not done the score for. Mm-hmm. 
So let's take a different step into the score corner, Scalzo. So funny thing, <laughs> he did. Well, he, at least Alan Howarth did as well. So from what I understand how this shook out, now Morricone's score in this is fantastic. It's beautiful. It's creepy. It's unsettling. Mm-hmm. It's all those things, and it works perfectly. But he hadn't seen the film, so he provided Carpenter these gorgeous kind of orchestral movements in these songs that then Carpenter mm-hmm. put into the movie. But then he went okay. through and realized, you know what, some of this doesn't work for what I need in this scene. So he, and I guess along with Howarth, went through and added some musical cues here and there. Like the theme itself, I'm like 99% sure that's Carpenter. Oh. Uh, and then all the other incidental music, all the other kind of, all the, basically if you hear strings, that's mostly Morricone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that score is stunning. It's one of my favorites. I do listen to it frequently. But uh, what I did, too, is I made um, like a, a flacker uh, version of Carpenter's theme. Because it's not in the thing CD, the soundtrack, if you were to buy it. In fact, I think the CD has been out of print for a very long time. But you can buy it on iTunes. And I actually mm-hmm. was able to track down a copy of it on um, on vinyl, which is really cool. Oh. It's really kind of a limited edition set thing. So it's really nice. Either way, though, great stuff. Sets the mood mm-hmm. perfectly. I know it's mostly Morricone, but who's one of my favorite compo- film composers, but still it is, I don't know, Matt, I know you're not as big of the scores as I am, <laughs> but I mean, this thing is a work of art when it comes to setting <laughs> tension and setting mood and having you feel off balance. I mean, it is its own. I think another thing that's another, it's just one of those films where just everything came together perfectly. Mm-hmm. And the score is another example of that. Was there a question in there? You... <laughs> you can add anything to that. Do you have anything? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, Morricone is a legend. I mean, you know, he is, and and I think you're absolutely right. You know, the kind of main synth line, you know, that uh, melody that you get in this thing that strikes me as as really John Carpentery. That does not strike me as Morricone <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think it is it is fantastic. I wouldn't put it up there necessarily with you know, my favorite Morricone scores, but it is, it, for me, as a, as a, we'll say, a score layperson, um, it doesn't <laughs> seem like something that I would just be like, man, I'm going to jam on the Thing soundtrack kind of thing. You know, maybe I'll put on The Ecstasy of Gold or something, and then I'll listen to that, but I'm not going to, you know, pull this out. Although, it's perfect for the film, and I would not separate it at all, or change a thing. Yeah. I just don't know if I'm blasting this out of my car stereo. Come on, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe after the, you know, like the third day that you've watched the movie, Mm -hmm. then you need it as like a step down so that you can walk away from the movie but still feel like it's with you. There you go. I can sit there and just, (laughs) I can play it at work, just subtly at work, and I'm just looking at everyone suspiciously. (laughs) Just looking around Uh, like, I don't trust these fucking people. (laughs) Uh, great (laughs) so slighted sorry sorry chris that's okay what what else do we need to uh to talk about i feel like we've bounced we've bounced around on on the greatest hits of this movie like the score the effects the wild fact that it just kind of came got trashed by critics and nobody really went to see it like I think we've we've covered the nuts and bolts of the story, but is there any uh, seasoning that we're missing? Any little tidbits you got to cover? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I again, I'll throw this in the pantheon of of perfect films. I mean, this is a perfect film for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a there's a handful of them out there, but this is I wouldn't change thing one about this, and <laughs> I don't know if I can say it for that for going for a lot of Carpenter going forward. I really my second choice one was either this yeah. the absolute pinnacle of what he produced or Ghosts yeah. of Mars, which I believe is the absolute drag to, of what he produced, <laughs> which I haven't seen. I've never seen Ghosts of Mars, so I was literally looking forward I to seeing it. I haven't either. Yeah. You know, well, it's going to be it. an experience. Yeah. It's gonna be something. <laughs> uh, wait, we haven't. We've gone through it. I haven't made my. Uh, I did all that work to pull this one clip. Play, Play it now. What what kind of setup right. might you need? Um. So they're all. So they did two weeks of rehearsal. <laughs> Everybody's working together. They're kind of like a family. There was talk about how you know uh, Wilford Brimley talks about it's an ensemble piece, right? Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of an ensemble piece. Uh, if you had to have a star, I guess it would have been a Kurt Russell. And he's he's not that kind of guy. He's He fits in. And he's actually a pleasure to be around. A good guy. So that's it. That's my, uh, I'm very excited to introduce this clip. A good guy. It's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I'm what it was. On board. <laughs> Why Brimley saying that, it, it gave me so much joy. A good guy. I, just, I don't know what it was. It just made me very happy. Weird, yeah. mustacheless uh, Wilford Brimley. Yeah, it yeah, isn't settling. He doesn't have his mustache. Matt, though, I have this. I have this loaded too. I'll save this for Juan at some point too. Oh, I cut the bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> so I'll have that ready to go at some point too. Thank God. Good. Good. That's that's a good one. I I like that clip of Wilford Brimley. I I like uh you can hear the love in his voice for Kurt Russell. Mm. A good guy. <laughs> it's so cozy. It's like a warm hug. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I, I guess you could call Kurt Russell the star of this movie. I guess. I guess yeah. if you have to pick one. If it's I not guess. me, Wilford Brimley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. He is. Oh, he's so handsome in this movie, Kurt Russell. Like just so handsome. A good guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it your beard guy one? I didn't know that. You know, I I don't define myself as a as a beard guy, but I find him far more attractive in this than in Escape from New York. So you're gonna see yeah. Kurt Russell a few more times. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. at the end of the season, you're gonna have to rank which <gasps> which yes. which Kurt Russell is the most attractive. Rank my Russells. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, break the, I will. Break my Russells. I will, I will gladly. <laughs> oh, I cut the bullshit! All right, Chris. Thanks for bringing it back around for us. Okay. No problem. First, I have to write this down. <laughs> Notes. Rank my Russells. A good guy. <laughs> oh, fantastic! So I had to. So I had to burn the special effect special features off of the Blu-ray to pull this clip. The problem is that oh. I can't, there's no titles. All I have is file size. So I'm thinking, all right, well, I know this is from the modern day interviews with the cast. It runs 50 minutes. All right. So I can, I, I can figure out how many gigs that is. Well, the TV mm-hmm. version's on here. So that's got to be the biggest file, right? Cause it's an hour <laughs> and a half or hour, 45 minutes or so. Probably. Nope. Nope. <laughs> And there's like a dozen files averaging anywhere from like 1.8 to like 5.6 gigs. And so I bu- pull them all and it's none of them. So I said, <laughs> wait a minute. Don't tell me 
It's the 11 gig. <gasps> it's not the TV version. It's the the 50 minute, which is one of the medium sized features. Sure enough, it was after after all of that. I was so upset, but in the end, it was worth it because he's a good guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> you know what? You're never you're gonna get so much use out of that clip. I think you did the right thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, your ROI is gonna be huge. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> <sighs> okay can we can we get into our favorite performances our rating and uh our our special john carpenter rank yeah wait one yes one last thing yes so you know when um brimley's doing his calculations for how long it's gonna take yes for the assimilation for the world to take (laughs) place Mm -hmm. it was like some weird thing like thousands of hours or Mm -hmm. something like that yeah i had to do the math (laughs) yes it's about 1100 days yeah about three so be uh yes yeah, about what three years? Yeah. Just under? yeah, three, just just over just three over years. years. Yeah, I did yeah. that math too. I was like, wait a minute. I did. I paused <laughs> it and I was like, hey Siri, how many hours or how many days is this many hours? And I just I did. It. Yeah, it was like three point zero eight years. I like how we all did that. That's fun. <laughs> Nerds. I needed to know. Mm-hmm. I needed to know. Yeah. It's like I don't, I don't count things in hours. <laughs> the only thing I measure in hours is podcasts. <laughs> that's it it's appropriate that's it. okay okay all right favorite performance um matt uh as like the guest um yes all right so for me there's three performances that i think are great my man wilford is mm-hmm. suitably creepy that's not the one uh <laughs> keith david apparently in his first role is a lot of fun as child's yeah. But yeah. I got to give it to my main man, the bearded Kurt Russell. The beard mm. does like 30% of the lifting, but uh, yeah, I think he's perfect as McCready. He's a lot of fun. Yeah. Good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it surprised me. It's the most obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was pretty great in it. Yeah. Um, that beard, that beard is unreal. I had to go with, Keith David really? on this one. Yeah. You know, on, on first watch, I'm like just staring at the beard. But second watch, I started paying attention to other characters. And I was like, I am most, I'm drawn in by him whenever he's talking. Like, I'm just like, like he's got like really intense energy. And uh, I, he has my favorite performance. Childs. All right. I'll allow it. So, Thank you. <laughs> my favorite line delivery again is still Richard Dysart. Yeah, is it? Is it a man in there? <laughs> I don't know what it is that I love it so much. What is that? Is that a man in there? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why it works funny. for me so well. I think the uh, pantomime is what really worked. Nobody can see this, but Chris was mouthing those words. Oh, yeah. I was lip-syncing <laughs> it. I, was, uh, I, also, I also really like uh, Richard Mauser as Clark. Mm-hmm. He's the red herring. We should probably put yeah. some out a spoiler tag. There's no. Is it, we have to worry about spoilers for a forty year old movie? Nah, no, fuck it. We don't. No. Who cares? But Mouser's uh, <laughs> Clark as a dog handler. He does such a good job of kind of think, making you think that he possibly has been taken over. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think in the end that, and then of course T.K. Carter has one of the best lines in the movie too, which I don't have queued up for you. I apologize. Is <gasps> maybe we were war with Norway, which I think is another <laughs> great one. But I think in the end, it's it's Russell. It's McCready. Mm-hmm. He's the uh, beating heart of this film. So even if he may be assimilated at the end. But still, even if he was. A good guy. 
it's fantastic. It's just just fantastic. So for our rating in our carpenter season, we're rating on a synth scale. Uh, one to five. Point five is allowed, but nothing smaller than that. And this movie is certified fresh at 84%. Mm. Matt, would you like to go first again with your rating? Sure. Um, first, that is criminally low. Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> this is a- it's like 90-something for the audience score, though. Mm. So at least there's that. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to give this a five out of five cents. So I expect Woo! that uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores to go up. At least. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for Yeah. I'm also giving it a five. It's just fucking great. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very scary. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. It's perfectly paced. It's fantastically, like, written. Like, it's just no wasted words. I'm giving it a five out of five. Chris? I'm like a 1.5. <laughs> like, take it or leave it, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it's a 5. Of course it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's his best film. It's his masterpiece. How many times can I say it? It's my, one of my favorite films, one of the greatest horror films ever made. So, yeah. It's pretty good. You're not going to give it's yourself an assault on Precinct yeah. 13 drop? Well, I didn't. No, I just usually do it once during this segment. <laughs> so, you either do it once or you do it like four times. <laughs> So what what you should be doing is you should have a different line of his synth scores. Yeah, I thought I, about that. <laughs> and then after, Haven't we covered the difficulty Chris has gone through? Look, it's not enough, Salzo. I, I thought about that a few times. 110%. But it's just too much. It's too much. I can play I, you um, Benson, Arizona, if you want. Oh, but, uh, it's always a good song. Yeah, no. I, uh, <laughs> no. Oh, I, I appreciate revisiting the assault on precinct 13 synth mm-hmm. it's fun well, I know, it's fun to I, go back i know to. what i'm getting chris for christmas he's gonna he's gonna come home to a bunch of uh wave files in his, <laughs> in his, in his gmail <laughs> just some carpenter synth lines just be sure to name the files no it's gonna be a surprise <laughs> oh like an advent calendar mm-hmm. of files yep. it'll you be just like unwrap them <laughs> just, yep, you just get to pick one <laughs> Oh, it'll be like, play this on your Christine episode. You don't know what it's going to be. Ooh. <laughs> I like it. Synth roulette. Yep. Yeah. I don't think we could go wrong with that. All right, I'm on it. <laughs> and I'm going to slide in one Rick Astley just for show. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep us honest. Mm-hmm. All right. Our last special Carpenter feature for this season is um, on a scale of zero to ten. Mm-hmm. How many fucks did John Carpenter give about the making of the thing? Uh, and th- all all manner of numbers are acceptable here. Yeah, I would say he gave all the fucks, like a thousand fucks. <laughs> An infinite amount of fucks is how much he cared about the thing. The maximum. Mm-hmm. Maxed out on fucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. I also think we're we're at maximum fucks here. And Chris hates it when I say it, so I say it multiple times every time. <laughs> Chris oh, yeah, likes- it's five. It's five. What else would it be? Sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Well, it's a, a scale out of, out of zero ten. to ten. ten oh, it's out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, then it's ten. It's max. <laughs> I don't. I I barely <laughs> listen to the show. I don't. I don't know, I know. Idea what's happening. Here. You you don't worry about it. It's a good show. Yeah, it's a good show. It's a good show. I'm a super fan. <laughs> Let's do it every week. Um, yeah, we'll see one. Chris likes to be the one to decide whether it's going to get an explicit tag or not. You've taken that power from him. <laughs> he doesn't get the choice. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, it also should just be a given with me. Mm. Uh, That's why I do like coming on the show. 
I mean, you got a scale <laughs> called fucks. How many fucks did they give? Yeah. Yeah. All it's right. Cut the bullshit! <laughs> I'm telling you, this is for science, mm-hmm. just like the research station. All right. And at the end of the year, or at the end of the season, I will have a chart. And we can watch his achievements and his efforts and on two different scales. It's going to be fantastic. So is it going to be like three lines? It'll have be like your synth score, your fuck score, and then your Russell ranking going, you know, through them. Yeah. Well, honestly, it's going to, it's going to be many charts. I might have to put, put out like a white paper at the end of this season <laughs> on uh, <laughs> the findings from this, from I'm this sure whole run. Researchers around the world are waiting <laughs> with bated breath. Honestly, I'm going to make some charts now. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Like, I already plan to do my usual, like, charting of the scores of the films, but I'm going to make extra charts now. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) I can't wait. I'm going to have to get Canva because I don't know how to make charts. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. is. Yeah. What? Well, I don't want to plug this company. So uh, don't worry about Canva. I'm just going to make charts. I'm going to do it. Sounds good. It's going to be great. Thank you for being here, Matt. Thank you for having me. I, I hope we get to come back for the best film of whatever the next season is. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking yeah. the time, Matt. You know, you're a good guy. <laughs> you know, Chris, I, uh, you know, I don't really put forward a lot of effort into any of these things that I do, but I feel like I'm going to have to get my own soundboard and we're just going to have a, a show with just dueling soundboards after everything mm-hmm. that we say. Yeah, all right. All right. I take it easy on this mm-hmm. show, too. I don't have a. You know, in the first <laughs> run, I have dozens he really does. of drops. So. I, know. I know. I know. Yeah. No, I, I support the idea of you uh, having competing drops. Mm-hmm. I think it would be great. Okay. So, again, thank you, Matt. Thank you for putting up with extra Chris in your life. I know. Well, thank you. <laughs> I had a good time, guys, as always. Yeah. Thank so, you. everybody, go listen to the first run where you can hear more of Matt and Chris all the time. Matt, anything else you feel like putting out into the universe? Not really. I'm a very um, curmudgeonly private person, so this is about as all you're going to get from me. I'm completely <laughs> off of uh, off of uh, uh, social media except for Twitter, and that's like a day-to-day thing at this point. Thanks, Eva. Yeah. Well, that is Twitter, yeah. yeah. We'll see how this poll goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm dating the recording of this episode mm-hmm. to the minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you can follow us at Twitter on Screen Run. I am at the Lady One. Chris is CG Scalzo, and you can find Screen Run wherever the podcasts are. So please give us a rating, uh, five stars, please, if you will, five cents. Please love us. Uh, write a review, tell a friend, share an episode, and we'll be back next time discussing Christine. Okay, bye. <laughs> I just licked my mic. Wow. Sure, who doesn't? (laughs) I do before every... Hold on. Okay, now I'm ready. That's that's the special oh, sauce. No. That's the one. So it brings the that's heat. That's where the magic comes from. <laughs> yeah, season your mic. <laughs> okay.